This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim. Today's episode 242, and we're going to be interviewing Julie. How are you, Julie? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. So uh, let's get started here. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about growing up. All right. Um, I am uh, currently 62 years old, and uh, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Came from a pretty good uh, uh, middle-class family. Um, I have brothers and sisters. Um, probably How many brothers three. and sisters? I have uh, two sisters and one brother. Well, same as um, us. I mean, same as me. Okay. I currently live in uh, Colorado, so I'm no longer at, at home. Both my parents are deceased. Um, I, I think I had a pretty normal uh, childhood. I started uh, drinking and using um, uh, when I was probably 14, and I started hanging out with... Uh, Back then, I'm going to date myself. They used to call us the freaks, you know, the freaks are the jocks. And I started smoking a lot of pot because that was the easiest thing that we had access to. And Who did you first smoke with? Uh, a bunch of kids in. Uh, back then, we had junior high. So I smoked with, you know, just kids that had access to it. But um, do you remember your first time, what it was like? I remember that I didn't, I, I, it was kind of uh, crazy because I remember smoking pot and I didn't really like it, but it kind of just um, had me check out kind of thing. And uh, I like that. I like being checked out. Uh, I like escaping from reality. And so. Um, what were you escaping from exactly? Myself. I think myself. Um, you know, I, I've been sober well, I, we'll go into that, but, um, you know, I came from a family that uh, we definitely had have uh, alcoholics and addiction that runs in my family, and uh, we were the kind of family that if we looked good on the outside, then we were good on the inside, and that really wasn't uh, <clears throat> the situation. You know, everybody wants to hide their demons, and I was no exception. You know, I was raised to, by a dad that told me that I could do anything that I wanted to when I grew up and I didn't need a man and um, that I was strong and powerful. And uh, so I kind of ran with that the whole, my whole, whole life. I did really well in college. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out of college. So I went back to college <clears throat> and uh, got a master's degree in human resources and started working for the government. And uh college was just one big party town for me you know I always uh drank more than everybody else and I I was kind of proud of that I I liked uh I liked how it made me feel um and I liked that I could keep up with the guys and I could drink more than anybody else and I just thought that that was the normal way of doing it and uh I did a lot of lot of party and uh 
I got out into the real world in my 20s and I moved to California and got a good job as a human resources person. And uh, well, real quick, going, going back Go to going back to when you were first using, I think you said you were oh. 14. How did right. that affect? <clears throat> how did that affect your life? Did you start like, like as far as oh, social life and school? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I somehow I got away with making really good grades and keeping up with appearances, um, but my parents, caught, you know, were ca caught on to the fact that that I was doing that, and they were like just appalled. They just couldn't believe that I was doing that, and so they sent me to a lot of different counselors and a lot of different therapists, and I would get caught sneaking out, and. Uh, they really tried to take control of over what I was doing. They would ground me and then I would sneak out and, and doing all that stuff. But somehow, like I said, it, uh, it's hard to believe that I could actually go to school. I remember going to school and uh, taking a, I think it was an algebra or a calculus class and I didn't go the whole freaking semester. I didn't go the whole semester. And I freaked out because when the uh, final came, um, I went to the final and I didn't pass the class. And my dad was totally mad that I didn't um, pass the class and I had to repeat the class. I just, I can't even imagine that I was doing anything other than just drinking and chasing guys. Um, I, I don't know how that works, you know? Um, and, you know, getting into the spiritual part of it, I think that was, you know, like a gift from God, you know, my higher power is God. And, um, he got me through some stuff that probably most people wouldn't get through. Um, anyway, stuff. <clears throat> when I was in college, I got uh, busted for a DUI and my dad was a lawyer. And so uh, he was friends with the DA. And so, I mean, I spent a night in jail for it, but I got off on the DUI. And, and granted, this is like 30 years ago, right? Laws are different, but um I was hammered and I, there's no, there's, I shouldn't have been driving at all. I mean, I shouldn't have even be awake. I don't remember what my BAC was, but um, I did stuff like that and uh, still got away with it. You know, I, I think that I, you know, when I got into the rooms of AA, I thought that I was better than, or that I was smarter than everybody else, you know, because I hadn't gotten to the yet yet. And uh, I got in there and I was like, oh no, this isn't for me. You know, I, I, I'm raised differently. I'm smarter. I know better. And I just didn't know what an alcoholic or an addict was. I really didn't. I thought it was somebody that lived under the bridge or on the street and was homeless and was panhandling and all that stuff. I just, you know, was, we talk about in the big book is contempt prior to investigation. I looked at everything that was wrong with everybody else. And I didn't want to see any of those things in, in, in me. You know, I, I looked at you, you're bad, you're, you do this, but I don't do any of that stuff. Well, I kept drinking and, you know, going back is I, I would say that my drinking really picked up. Um, when I got married, I married my drinking partner. And it was my first marriage. I got married at 32 uh, we partied all the time we were in the mortgage business and that's when the mortgage business was great and we drank and uh, went out and partied all the time and I wanted to have kids and so I got pregnant when, with my first son when I was 35 before we get into that I just huh? want to take a step back okay. <clears throat> when you did you graduate high school I did 
So what did you do once you graduated high school? I went straight to college. Okay. How was college? College was one big party fest. It was, you know, that's what we did. We partied every every night. That's the when we used to have happy hours, you know, and I lived in a sorority house and uh Monday night was one bar and we would go um party and have happy hour food and then Tuesday we would do the same thing. We just did it all the time. I I, I just I can't believe how much alcohol I consumed and still made it through college. It 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 just boggles my mind. What what was your poison? Was it actual liquor or was it beer and stuff like that? It was uh <clears throat> no, it it was it was hard liquor, whatever whatever they were serving, you know. Uh we used to go to a place called Ned's on Wednesday nights and they'd have 20 25 cent drink night, believe it or not, and rum and cokes. And literally, yeah, this is the coolest thing I thought of is we would go in and like at seven o'clock, they had live bands. It was an awesome place. We would tell the waitress, fill up the table. We'd be in a big <clears> bar <throat> in a big uh, booth and they would fill it up with 60, 100 drinks. And we'd just drink all night long because it was 25 cents. We'd all put our money together and drink, you know? And, uh, that was just the lifestyle that we did all the time. But I always noticed that I had drank more than anybody else. You know, I just, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't just have uh, a couple of drinks. I had to get rip roaring drunk. All what the time. age did you notice that? About 25, about 25, maybe. And so, you know, it, it became, it was back in my mind, but I thought, well, I just have a high tolerance. I know how to do this, all that, all that kind of stuff. But that's not the truth. The truth is that I was building up a higher and higher tolerance. And I always thought about drinking. You know, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking or when I was going to get my next drink, how I was going to get my next, next drink. And in college, it didn't get secretive because everybody was doing it. But, um, I guess when it really started affecting me was it, after I had kids. After I had kids, I had my first at 35 and I had my other son at 37. And I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with the, you know, the day-to-day -day task of taking care of a kid. And I had stopped working. And so I had left, lost some of my self-worth, self-value, I guess, because I used my job as validation for being enough. Um, and I started drinking all the time. I, I, I remember I moved from Colorado to Maryland and I started at 37. I started hiding my drinks from my husband. So I'd go to the liquor store and I'd buy a bunch of liquor and I'd hide some of it and I'd hide it from myself. So, you know, uh, I put a bottle of, you know, even if it was wine, I'd put it in my closet somewhere. So I'd have liquor for later, you know, and I was drinking a lot, a lot, a lot. And I hadn't had a lot of consequences up to that point. Um, I had two DUIs. Um, I had one, I don't know what age I was, but it was in two, 2002. I had my first DUI. And at that time I had tried going to AA and I really didn't want to get sober. Um, I just wanted people to get off my back. Everybody in my family was talking to me about how much I was drinking, that I was slurring my words. I was drinking before family events. Like I knew I couldn't have more than two or three 
drinks without people looking at me and, and wondering what was wrong with me. So I would drink before I would go to party, before I would go to family events. Um, what was really scary to me is that's when blackouts started happening for me. And I was drinking and driving with my kids. And I would get home and I had no idea how the hell I got home. You know, and that's by the grace of God. I, I mean, anyway, um, I started having blackouts. And I remember going to a bookstore when they used to have bookstores at uh, Walden Books or, you know, Barnes and Noble. And I went in and I was with the kids at the mall and I got, there was some book on the shelf that I started reading about how do you know if you're an alcoholic? I don't know what book it was, but it was, how, how do you know? And it said blackouts and all this kind of stuff. And I got, I got pretty scared, but it didn't stop me from drinking. Uh, so I started going to AA um, and uh, kept drinking, even though that I was going to AA. I just wanted to show everybody that I was doing what they wanted to do wanted me to do uh, and I just wanted to keep drinking away and I, I thought like I said I was better than or I was smarter than I could figure this shit out and I could somehow beat alcoholism you know I just didn't I didn't uh, my ego and pride got in to my uh, um, way before I got sober they got into my head that this wasn't who I was going to be you know I don't think anybody signs up for like, oh, I want to be an alcoholic. I want to be an AA or I want to be an addict, you know, whatever. I, I just didn't want to do that shit at all. And uh, so I screwed around for two and a half years. And um, during that time, I got another DUI. And this time was pretty bad. I had a 10 year old or eight year old son that was in the backseat of a car. I was at a three, one, two. Okay. Granted, I'm, I weigh about 130 pounds and uh, I should have. What's a three, three, one, two. That was my blood alcohol content. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So the officer. Uh, so anyway, I, I was driving to go down to my sister's house to do some dog sitting. And we had stopped. My son asked to stop at Taco Bell. Thank God. And I pulled off the side. I was trying to pull off the side of the road. And I was so hammered. I ran, ran my car over a fire hydrant and it ripped the engine out and it stopped. You know, the car stopped. And I remember it was in front of a business and all these people came outside and was watching because the fire hydrant was blowing and my son was crying in the backyard, in the back seat. And he was fine and I was fine. And the bags had uh, inflated. And uh, the I remember the officer saying to me, what's wrong with you? And I, I'm like, I, I'm a drunk. And uh, my husband at the time came over and picked up my son and started screaming at me and I got thrown in jail again. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble with the law at that point in time. They, since I had two DUIs on my record, um, they told me I was gonna do some time and uh, that I needed to get my act together. So they pulled my license away for a year and uh, put me on a, breath, uh, a breathalyzer and uh, I still kept drinking. And at that point in time, I left my husband and I left my two children. I left them, I left them to go drink. And uh, I got in an apartment and I tried, you know, continuing what I did. 
I went to during that those last two years of my drinking, I went to treatment seven times, seven freaking times. Um, some of the same treatment centers. Um, it was it was brutal. Uh, I got picked up for I never showed up for probation. Why would I? You know, I thought, why would I go to probation and have them uh, breathalyze me because I'm drunk and I'm not going to pay to have that done. So they would just pick me up and take me to jail. So last time I was in jail, I was there for, I don't know, 14 days, I think I was in jail. And they put me out in front of the judge. And the judge said to me, Julie, if you continue doing this, because I had a, a, a child abuse charge against me because my son was in the car. What, I don't know what we're going to do with you, but this is not okay. And we're going to lock you up for good. And uh, I said, okay, well, I, I just didn't care. I just wanted to drink. So they let me out of jail, went back to treatment, came back out of treatment. The first day I was out of treatment, I was drunk again. And I had a sponsor, even though I wasn't sober, that was in the program, had a welfare check. And they came over and I knew that they were going to take me to the hospital and they were going to put me in detox again. And so I drank a half a gallon of bleach in my apartment at that point in time because I didn't have anything else. Were you trying I to kill yourself? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I went into, I remember going into the bathroom of my apartment, smashing the mirror. Like, I, I just freaking can't do this. I, there's no way in hell I can can stop drinking. Because I had tried it several times. I, I'd stopped for maybe a day, maybe a few hours. But by this time, I was drinking around the clock. I hadn't, I wasn't employable. I was, I was 20 pounds hit, um, lighter than I am now. Um. I remember in the hospital, they told me that I was malnourished and I was probably going to die um, if I continued. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to die. And I was probably drinking a whole fifth of vodka by myself a day. I hadn't eaten, you know, in days. I would just drink for days and days and pass out and blackout and wake up, pass out, blackout. Uh, it, it was awful. And so they picked me up. One more time, and they took me over to a detox, and it was a hospital, and they put me on a 72-hour hold, which hadn't happened before. And uh, I woke up, and I had no idea where the hell I was. And the same lady that sponsored me for the first probably eight or ten years of my sobriety walked in, and she said to me, you know, eight years ago, I was sitting in laying in the same bed in the same place that you are today and I was like no freaking way and she's like yeah I'm telling you she's like what are you gonna do and I'm like I don't know and uh <clears throat> the change I don't know what something cha what changed it I don't know I got the gift of desperation as they call it I was like I I, I can't do this anymore and so uh they let me out and um, I went to probation and probation said, you're a menace to society and we can't trust you and we're going to put an ankle bracelet on you. Thank God. They put an alcohol monitor on my brace on my uh, ankle. And uh, I started working the program and I called my sponsor every day. And because that's what she told me to do, because that's I drank every day. I went to a meeting every day. I didn't have a job. Um, 
And uh, I stayed sober for my first year. I, I remember going to the, a meeting up in Castle Rock and I, a bunch of people were with me to celebrate and I forgot to raise my hand. And they were like, aren't you going to get your chip? And I'm like, it's just so weird. I don't know what your experience is, but it's just so weird that like I had lied so many times, like I'm not drinking and I was falling down drunk or slurring or whatever. I was doing all this shit and I couldn't believe that I was sober. I just didn't know how, how that shit worked. I thought I could stay sober for a while, but not, not a long time. And I had no higher power and uh, I worked the steps and it took me about two years to work the steps because my sponsor kept me on step one because I didn't believe I was powerless over alcohol even after all of that stuff. I mean, I, I literally walked out on my husband, two children that I adore, <clears throat> a, a, a great life, so I could preserve my right to drink. That, that screwed up. So anyway, um, I uh, thought, well, I, I, I've done it for a year. I, I might as well continue doing it. I got off probation after about five years. Uh, I got my kids back in my life. I divorced my husband. He uh, was, uh, I think, one of us, but that, that's his journey. Um, and my life has drastically changed. I, I, I'm 16 years sober in February. And I don't know how the hell that, that happened other than doing it one day at a time. It's an awesome life. Um, I thought I was going to have this Bernie Bush experience where God was going to come in and, woo, you know, Julie, thank God you got sober and all this stuff. And it came came in through the back door instead of the front door. And that was by working the steps. And that was the biggest. Uh, that was the greatest experience of my life, having a higher power. Because when we got into the rooms, they told me that we needed to have a sufficient substitute. And I didn't know that there was going to be a big enough one. You know, because that's all I did. That's all I knew was drinking. You know, I don't know what what other people's stories are, but, you know, I, everything I did uh, revolved around alcohol. I just didn't know there was going to be any sufficient substitute. And I couldn't connect the dots between how God was going to help me with alcohol because I had tried everything. You know, I cu tried cutting down. I tried going to rehab, putting putting me in jail. And that kept me, you know, sober for a short term, but never for a long term. And I freaking hated myself, absolutely hated myself. And I just didn't understand what was wrong with me. And then I got in there and I was a little bit willing to listen to what other people said. And when I met a woman that was just like me, that drank the same way, you know, drugs was part of my story. It wasn't a big part, but I used to do a lot of cocaine because cocaine would keep me up and drinking a little bit longer. You know, I loved it, but I couldn't afford it because I was spending all my money on booze. But nonetheless... Um, Alcoholics Anonymous and working those 12 steps has changed my whole perspective about thinking, you know, that I'm not the most important person in the in the rooms. I am not as smart as I think I am. Um, and, it, you know, it, this whole program of recovery is about kind of overcoming myself, you know. What I think about myself is either I'm the greatest thing since sliced cheese or I'm a piece of shit. You know, there's no gray area. I'm not in between. And I can be addictive about anything, um, smoking, um, eating chocolate, uh, whatever it is. I, I just think that I, I'm a little bit wired differently. You know, I'm pretty obsessive, compulsive person. And I just didn't know how this was going to work. And um, 
I don't know. It's just changed my whole perspective and my whole outlook on life. And I have a great life now. You know, I uh, at 47 um, went back to school and I got a, um, I got credentialed as an autism behavioral therapist. And that's what I do. What a great freaking job, you know, all day long. I don't think about anybody but about Julie. I think about other kids, you know, I, I'm working there to help them, you know. It is the greatest thing in the, in my life. I have two children that adore me, that are that live close to me, and that have forgiven me. And that was that was hard to fathom. Like you put an eight year old in the back seat of a car and dr drive drunk with them and have an accident like that. Like how do kids get over that? Like there is nothing that's right about that. That is screwed up. That is wrong in so many levels. And I didn't realize that alcohol had taken me out of who I was. Like I did anything. It, I was, that was my higher power. Alcohol was my higher power. I did anything and everything to get my drug, you know? And I didn't give a shit who I, who I hurt in the meantime. Yeah. I don't, children can be so um, resilient and, and strong yeah. in the stuff that you put them through. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, thank God for God, because. I, I just didn't think I was going to be able to do this. And literally when I celebrated on 16 years, I started crying because I was like, I don't know how I, how this happened. I don't, I know it happens one, one day at a time. I know it happens by making the effort not to pick up a drink, but that's what I did my entire life. I always picked up a drink always, you know, I felt happy. I felt sad. You know, I, I didn't like the way things looked on the outside. You know, I picked up a drink all the time. That's just what I did. And that's, how I'm wired. I mean, the first couple of years of sobriety, I I I couldn't keep um, vanilla extract in my house. I used to do shit like I would walk over. I didn't have a car. I would walk over to the grocery store over to Safeway and Sundays and because we, we couldn't buy liquor here on Sundays back then. And I would go over to, to Safeway and I would open up a bottle of vanilla extract because it had high alcohol content. This is the stuff I did. I can't even believe it. And I would drink it and put it back in the box and put it back on the shelf just so I wouldn't be shaky. That's the kind of stuff I did. I had to make amends to those people at Safeway. You can't believe. I mean, like when I went over there and took him money and told him what I did, you know, whoever the manager was on duty, he looked at me like, you're a psycho. And I'm like, I can't even believe I did stuff like that. But that's who it made me. It made me a monster. It, it just, I don't know. It. It, it's scary now after having some sobriety to look back about the crap that I did. But I have to remember that if I want to stay sober. Because if I think that I can pick up any kind of alcohol in any form or any drug for that matter and get away with it, I'm only fooling myself. Because all it takes is that first little sip of alcohol and I'm off to the races and, and who knows what happens, you know? I'm an old lady. I don't know if I have another recovery in me. I don't. And I don't want to ever go back to, to doing that crap that I did to other people. You know, I thought, I, like I said, I was only hurting myself. I heard it. I heard it my whole entire family, you know, and um, I have a brother that's now in recovery and he's got about five years and he's got an ex-wife that's in the in al active alcoholism. And it's a mess. It's affecting our entire fam family. He's not even married to the woman, but he's got kids with her. And uh you know, God put, put, puts things back in our lives to, you know, to keep us up here because 
my disease just wants me to pick up a drink every day. You know, I, I'm pretty neutral about alcohol, but I'm pretty clear about the fact that should I decide that I want to pick up a drink or I want to do a line or I want to do this or that, uh, it's going to take me right back into my addiction and I don't want to be there anymore. I have a good life. You know, I don't want to be that person that Julie was uh, when I was actively drinking. It's it, it's a scary, dark place that I couldn't ever get myself out of. And uh, thank God for places like Alcoholics Anonymous, because I, I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, had I not done it. And it wasn't just sitting in the rooms. It's doing the work. You know, I don't want to look at my shit. I, I don't want to look at any of my shit. I don't want to go through those steps. I don't want to do the inventory. I don't want to look at my character defects. I don't want to do any of that stuff. But that's what I needed to do in order to get healthy and, and be okay to live in my own skin without alcohol today. You know, I needed an overhauling about who I was, how I was maladapted to life, and how I saw, how I saw the world. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of alcoholics and addicts are unstructured and don't have good boundaries, you know, and I just, I don't know, I, I just felt like I was invincible, like, uh, this isn't going to happen to me, I'm not going to do that. And lo and behold, it happened. And I fought it tooth and nail when I didn't even need to fight it. There was a solution out there, but I didn't want to take a look at it. You know, I was special, I was unique, and I'm not special and unique. And the greatest gift that I can give to people is using those principles that we use in the rooms to apply to my real life. You know, I have to have all those kinds of things um, because my mind over here is kind of screwed up. And I think all sorts of crazy stuff that gets me drunk and I don't want to be drunk anymore. That that was the, probably the darkest period of my life. Like I look back and I, I can tell you with all honesty, what... What in the world would make it right to be in a blackout? I don't even remember driving with an eight-year-old and do that. There's nothing in the world that can make that right. I mean, wrong is wrong is wrong. And had I been sober, I would have never done that. And I can never go back and make that up, make up for that. I can, all I can do is do the next right indicated thing today. You know, my mom died of this disease. My father-in-law died of this disease. I have a brother that's in recovery. I, I worry the hell about my two young sons. They're in their mid-20s, but that's their journey. I can't, I can't, you know, I'm pretty clear about, I can't, I can't even control Julie sometimes. And uh, I, I'm definitely powerless over a lot of things in my life. But uh, working those steps saved my life. Uh, and, you know, they say you're going to have the spiritual experience. I'm like, bullshit. I'm not going to have a spiritual experience. I don't have anything to do with God. I don't have any uh, religious training or upbringing. I just, I was like, nope, nope, nope. But that's not going to happen for me. And it happened. And I don't know how it happened. I don't give a shit how, how it happened. I just got glad that I'm in a better place today, you know, and I can suit up and show up and pass this on to other women that are struggling in their lives, you know. And be there for my children and be a productive person in life. Because before I was just, I don't know, I was just existing, you know? It's amazing how much we've changed. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> like, it, when I tell you that, I mean, I haven't talked about this stuff in a long time, but like drinking a half a gallon of bleach, driving drunk with my 
like those are things that are like total no-nos, right? We know that. But yet that's where my disease takes me. It takes me so to places that I would never do that stuff, you know? But all that matters is that you're better now. And you're doing so fantastic. I said all that matters is that you're doing better now. Yeah. And and that's what I say to people. I don't I don't care what gets you in the rooms. I don't care. I I don't care if the judge sends you. I don't care. You go there, whatever. I'm just glad people are there. Because if I and I truly mean this, if I can do it, you know, I feel like anybody can do it. I, you know, people are like, oh, well, you're a little blonde girl, and they, you know, and I'm like, you weren't that bad. I'm like, listen to my story. I just I couldn't even believe that I'd gotten to where I got. But I had to go down that that road and hit hit that bottom. And I have a lot of friends that haven't uh, that have hit the, hit the bottom and they they died. You know, this this is a really scary disease, and uh, I don't know. I I just feel really blessed and grateful that uh, I was open. And you know, I think the biggest part of my recovery is honesty, open mindedness, and willingness. You know, that uh, I put my ego and pride, and I sit it down on the chair over there, and I say, okay, tell me what I need to do. And let me follow the directions and humble myself and say that I don't got this. I, I need help and I need to uh, learn how to do things in a different way. And I, I love all the principles in the program because I take them into my day-to-day life, even with my clients. You know, I work with little kids, you know, five, eight, 10, whatever. And I try to bring all those principles in and, um, I don't know. God saved my ass, and I, I am t- eternally grateful. Eternally grateful, because, uh, like I said, I have had a lot of friends that uh, didn't make it. You know that they were successful in in committing suicide or drinking themselves to death. You know, I had a girlfriend that I went to high school with. I haven't talked to in thirty five years, and she called me this weekend, and her husband drank herself to death. And she knows that I'm in the program, and she doesn't know what the hell to do. You know, she's in a bad place. So it affects what we can do. Yeah. So again, towards the end here, let me ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Just give it a shot. I mean, alcohol, you know, whether alcohol or drugs are your deal, just give it a shot. You don't have anything to lose by doing it. You know, just be willing to try something different and get out of that freaking denial thing. You know, we think, we think we know it all and that we don't, we don't have a problem and you know uh just give it a shot you know and, and see what yeah you know i tell people this and it's probably not a good thing to tell them but i tell them you know alcohol or drugs are they're not going away you, you can go back to it if you want to but you know we live in a, a, a instantaneous society microwave uh internet you know we want instant results and change doesn't happen that way at least in my experience it takes a while you know I don't think that I stopped, and this is not something that's probably really, you know, uh, motivating to people, but I thought about alcohol all the time for the first two years of my sobriety. I don't think about alcohol very much anymore. You know, it's there. It's it's okay. But uh, time takes time, and we don't like that, you know? I wanted my first year of sobriety right away, and when I got it, I was like, oh, well, this is it, you know? Um, but just give it a chance, give it a chance and let it take some time and uh, be willing to be open and honest. I mean, completely put all that shit out there. 
that's what it did for me is when I got all that crap off my chest about what I did, I was like free. I'm like, okay, there is no secrets. I did this, 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 and this, and all that stuff that I had held in and like, oh my God, you know, my sponsor, I remember when I did my fist up, she's like, that's it. And then she shared some of the stuff that she did and it didn't make me feel quite so bad, you know? So just give it a chance because I was, I went to a, a, a meeting for my 16th birthday in Parker where I got sober and I see people that said, people said to me, we were taking bets that you were going to make it because you were a mess, you know? And uh, yeah, I said, yeah. I would have bet that I wouldn't have made it. So you just don't know what you don't know. So don't judge a book by its cover. Try it. Um, it's a great life. I, I it, it doesn't own me anymore. It doesn't have a lot of power over me unless I give it power, you know? And I always wanted to be in power control. And uh, I didn't have any of that. But when I surrendered, I got into the program. I got a lot more power back, you know, about making different choices. So that's my suggestion. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I think it was a good interview. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel always feel good when I get my story out. Now, people, you don't, like I said, my sponsor used to say that to me all the time. You don't know what you don't know. And I'm like, that's a stupid ass thing to say. What does that mean? You know? And I was like, you're right. You don't know what you don't know. So I had nothing to lose when I got into the rooms. Nothing. Because I was facing two years in jail or prison and uh, or death. You get down to that and I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, and I still kept drinking. I, I, I That just blows my mind when I look back. Oh, do you want to go to jail or do you want to drink? <laughs> like, oh, I'll keep drinking, you know. I mean, it just, it, and that kind of fueled my fire in the first couple of years of my sobriety. Because people would say to me, she's never going to get it. And I'm like, screw you. Watch this. So it kind of motivated me, like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. And my ex-husband used to say that, you're never going to get sober. You're a piece of crap. You're just a drunk. And I'm like, ooh, okay, watch me. So it kind of, you know, put some fire under me to like, watch me do this, you know? And it's not an easy thing. It's not pretty. It's uh, not what I want to do on a regular basis, meaning I don't want to do a fifth step. But I don't have to I don't have to do a fifth step all the time because I don't live like that anymore. I don't cause a lot of chaos and destruction in the community with my family, with my kids. You know, I do things differently, like normal people do instead of just causing all this chaos and commotion. It's there's no need for it. But I didn't know that there was a solution. I wanted a pill. I wanted a rehab. I wanted something to fix me. And that wasn't happening. And so I had to learn to do the steps and humble myself and and there's like an internal process of fixing myself i don't know i don't know how it works i'm just grateful that it does and then i don't have to live like that anymore you know owned by a bottle i mean it, it's crazy making help what we do for our our drugs or our alcohol at least for me it was i mean i'd yeah, hide, you know i'd hide booze in my wash i left live by myself and i hide bottles in my own washing machine or dryer because I knew I didn't need that bottle when I wake up in the morning, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you doing it. It means a lot. Of course. Of course. All right. Do me a favor and sit tight for me. Okay.
And for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, a bunch of other platforms as well. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. And Addicts Anonymous has a book coming out. should be at the end of the month or sometime early next month called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. So I'll keep you posted on that. Once again, that's all we have for today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.